Campbell Smith welcoming everybody to the Lone Star Outdoor Show powered by SEI. Man, great tune there from Camp, a band that I just became familiar with. And I got to thank my little brother, Chris, uh, for introducing me to that band. A great folk band from somewhere in the Midwest, I think. Uh, but <laughs> probably the first contribution my youngest brother has ever made to the show is he is the furthest thing from an outdoorsman. He catches a fish and he's looking at me to, you know, help him take the damn thing off the hook. So love you little brother. And I'll keep trying to uh, make a man out of you yet. (laughs) He has shot a duck. I'll give him that. And he's gone turkey hunting with me. Um, He never shot a turkey, but uh, I think he did it just to humor me to show me he uh, wasn't completely the metrosexual that I had him pinned for. It's amazing. I can't believe we have the same mother. Uh, and then my middle brother is some, somewhere in between. He he certainly likes to hunt. And if I'm deer hunting, there's days where Jansen, that's my middle brother, he'll he'll come grab Belle and take her duck hunting. So certainly uh, more like me than our than our youngest brother. Don't know how we failed them on that front, but we can keep trying. Uh, coming up on today's broadcast. Lots of stuff to get into, so you know what to do by now. Pull up that stool a little closer to the old campfire. Pour yourself another cup of coffee out of that beat-up old Stanley Thermos, the green one that Granddaddy passed down years ago. Uh, Maybe you you spike it with some of his cough syrup. Maybe you don't. But we're ready to rock and roll, and off the top, we'll be joined by our old friend, Linda Powell of Mossberg Firearms, and we'll examine what exactly is going on in the firearm industry today we've got a manufactured global pandemic we've got folks burning cities down from the inside out and uh a pending upcoming election so (laughs) wild and crazy times to be in the firearms industry no doubt about that also mossberg has a new semi-auto shotgun platform that i'm very excited about for one and uh, Linda will tell us a little bit about that as well. Then it's going to be all whitetails for the rest of the show. One of my favorite outdoor, well, I don't want to say outdoor. He's a whitetail writer, and he's a damn good one. Uh, Bill Winky of Midwest Whitetail will make his return to the show as we're going to get into the pre-rut. Strategies, tactics, um, or maybe just uh, leave the deer alone. Don't even bother with the pre-rut. But what about the October lull? Is that really a thing? Uh, we'll pick Bill's brain on that as well. So lots of big buck talk coming at you here uh, at the bottom of the hour. That's what we're going to do today. Going to be a good one. Guarantee you that. Let's, uh, let's do a quick giveaway. How about a Vortex Optics t-shirt and cap? Uh, we'll uh, we'll send one of these out. It's the uh, Vortex Nation T-shirt, and uh, we'll throw in a cap as well. And all you need to do is email the word whitetail. Let's make it simple. Just email the word whitetail to Lone Star Outdoor Show at gmail dot com, and you are entered into today's Vortex Optics giveaway. We're gonna take a quick break. Coming up next, Linda Powell of Mossberg Firearms makes her return to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. The heartache seemed to fade away and you dead gun straight. It was gone by the bottom of a fifth man it's the pits. When your will runs dry and your time runs out, you can't quit. 
getting lit up quicker than a sky on the 4th of July When you put it out there and lay it all on the line Just to lose it in the bottom of a fifth Texas Premium Power Sports is one of the largest pre-owned dealers in Texas. They specialize in sales of pre-owned ATVs and UTVs, many of which come fully accessorized. They also have a full service and repair center for most major brands and offer financing with a 500 credit score or better. They'll even finance parts and accessories such as high racks, roofs, and wheel and tire combos. Visit TexasPremiumPowerSports.com or check them out on Instagram at Texas underscore premium underscore power sports. That's TexasPremiumPowerSports.com. With city life seemingly getting crazier by the minute, the thought of moving out to the country is looking more appealing than ever. And Foster Farm and Ranch has been recognized as one of the nation's top ranch brokerages the past two years. They have listings in 22 counties and counting and are truly a statewide entity. Foster represents buyers and sellers from all walks of life. Farmers, ranchers, hunters, doctors, lawyers, investors, and possibly you. You can find them on Facebook, Foster Farm and Ranch, or Instagram, at Foster Ranch Sales. Of course, fosterfarmandranch.com, the website, or call Chad at 830-776-3605. This is Rich O'Toole, and thank you for listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Awesome action. Sick of sitting around here trying to write this book. I need a love reaction. Come on, baby, give me just one look. You can't start a fire sitting around crying over a broken heart. This gun's for hire, even if we're just dancing in the dark. Can't start a fire. Our buddy Rich O'Toole's take on the classic Springsteen song, Dancing in the Dark. I think he uh, served the boss well on that one. Cable Smith riding shotgun with you today. Thanks for being here on SCI's Lone Star Outdoors show. It is a treat to be talking outdoors with you every week. So appreciate you dropping by. Uh, we're about to get into what's going on within the firearm industry. Are they still selling guns at a record pace? Um, well, we're going to find out when Linda Powell jumps on here momentarily. But first, this segment is brought to you by First Light and the Uncompagre 2.0 Puffy Jacket. I just got back from my New Mexico elk hunt, and the Uncompagre kept me warm in the mornings, and uh, when things started to cool off in the evenings, I'll be honest, it was pretty warm, uh, but that mountain breeze and the dropping temperature, it hits you uh, first thing in the morning, and then again right as the sun is going down. So the, uh, the Uncompagre kept me warm, and it also served as my pillow. As I'll wad it up and, and stuff it in my sleeping bag sack. Check it out. It's the Uncompagre 2.0 Puffy. Perfect for your next Western big game adventure. First light. Go further. Stay longer. Okay. Oh, and by the way, more on the elk hunt uh, next week as our outfitter, uh, Jared Robinson, will be here. And we will dive into that in full detail. So that is coming up. But right now. We're going to talk firearms, and we'll do so with uh, one of my good friends who I've spent time in hunting camp with and have certainly enjoyed numerous conversations with over the years, Linda Powell of Mossberg Firearms. Always a pleasure. I Likewise, Cable. Good to talk with you again as well. Yeah, so it's been a, a crazy year for, uh, you know, from so many um, aspects as, as far as canceled hunts and then what's happened with the firearm industry. Uh, over the last six months has also been um, 
kind of unforeseen, but I know it's been a good thing for for business. Um, but let, well, let's start with um, what what you've been missing out on as far as as those <laughs> hunts, and, and I know you're you know passionate about bear hunting, and we've talked about that a lot over the years. But um, did you miss out on on any black bear hunts? Here, I, I did. Quarantine. You know, it was kind of interesting. I mean, started, you know, mid-March, I had a pretty full schedule, and that included some turkey hunts, and then um, my annual trip heading up uh, to northern Alberta for black bear. Um, those were all put on the back burner, and, you know, I, was, I tried to be optimistic and think, you know, maybe borders would open up and some of these trips would happen, but uh, I also had an international trip scheduled to go for Rusa Stag, and that had to be delayed, so... I haven't really had a chance to get out in the field since, uh, you know, early spring, and I'm I'm anxious to get back out. Oh, the Rusa deer. Okay, I know what a Rusa deer is. Where yeah, Rusa deer. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, actually, we were hunting, and they're free ranging on the, the island off of Australia called New Caledonia. Oh wow! And uh, really excited about that. I think the fact again, you know, uh, it's uh, it, it's a unique species. Uh, being able to hope to hunt, you know, open range, free range. Um, and, and just culture, that's one of the things I love about traveling uh, and hunting as well, is getting to experience the food, the people, the culture of a different area. Mm-hmm. Um, what was really interesting, too, is they have a lot of uh, other animals. Uh, turkeys are one that they pretty much have that uh, they don't have any real restrictions on, so we're going to be able to shoot some turkeys. Um, what, like, probably. what kind of turkeys? <laughs> you know, I'm not even sure what... Uh, what subspecies they are, but I mean Australia uh, is just a, a a hodgepodge of of game animals that have been dumped onto you know <laughs> onto yeah. its uh, surface over the last couple of centuries, and this is what you got. Yeah, exactly. I think there were some options for some feral goats and some other things, so it's really going to kind of be just an interesting mixed bag. But uh, uh-huh. we've rebooked it for for next August, so hopefully we'll be able to go. And your in your travels. To Australia previously, um, what was the the temperature of the of the gun owners there? Well, it's interesting, interesting that you asked that. I actually have not been to Australia before. For all my oh. travel, that's one place I haven't been. Uh, okay. Uh, so uh, you know, I can't can't really give you feedback on that. All I can say is the the ones that follow our account on social media is they're always chiming in saying you guys need to support the second amendment it's it's the greatest treasure you have here we are trying to predator hunt with over-unders you know i mean we don't we can't own semi-automatic shotguns so um just from from a hunting perspective and that doesn't even take into consideration what the second amendment is really for anyway which has nothing to do with hunting so um yeah no but good good point you know and i think when we get that feedback from people in other countries we really do need to take that to heart and realize how good we have it now. We've got to protect those rights. Yeah, and I'm sure that you were privy to uh, that tweet that Biden put out this past week about uh, <laughs> banning assault. He said weapons of war. That was the way he, he phrased it. Yes. And then uh, high-capacity magazines. And then if you go back and look at what he was talking about, if you dive a little deeper, um, he's talking about a, a government buyback or a large-scale registration program where you'll have to pay, say, for any uh, AR that you own, like a $200 tax stamp. So if you own um, 10 of them, you know, you're at $2,000 every year. Uh, unbelievable. You know, I, I think anyone that's listening ought to take that all to heart and be concerned. Um, you know, again, I, I know that um, 
we, we can't take a chance like that on an elected official who's saying before he's even in office, these are the things that he's going to do. Mm-hmm. Oh, so, and the people um, that he's aligned himself with, I mean. Uh, exactly. Very clearly aligned himself with others that feel equally as strong about banning. Mm-hmm. Uh, Beto, hell yeah, we're going to take their ARs. That's his quote. Yeah, uh, exactly. Kamala Harris at the uh, presidential, um, the Democratic um, primaries, she's on record of saying, I'll give Congress 100 days. And then we're going to force a, a uh, buyback. Executive order, yeah. Uh, and uh, all of this stuff is unconstitutional. Uh, so they don't put any value on what the Constitution says. Um, and, you know, it's interesting. I, I know there's a lot of sportsmen out there who still want to vote that way, to vote left. To me, I put the – and I love public lands. I mean, I, that's kind of where my soul is revitalized every year is, is backcountry hunting. Uh, but I, I can't put the value of that over the Second Amendment uh, because ultimately the Second Amendment is not in place for hunting. It's for us to uh, right. to be able to protect ourselves against tyranny. And this is, I mean, listen to these people talk. That That's what they want to do is uh, is violate the Constitution. So it's, uh, but hey, at least they're selling more guns. <laughs> that's what I was going to say. We've seen a response to that because – uh, you know, during my 20-plus year now in the industry, I've never seen a surge like we've had uh, in 2020. Yeah. I mean, we've had we've had you know spikes before, but we've not had one that I think has uh, spiked so quickly and sustained and lasted as long as it has. The most encouraging news, and what I continue to read and hear, is how many of the purchasers are first-time firearm owners, mm-hmm. which um, I think is really important. Uh, and and the majority of them are buying firearms for personal protection. Yeah. Um, so that's that's good for all of us that are in the uh, the hunting and and shooting sports industry. Well, the world's largest militia just keeps getting bigger. So. Yes, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> we welcome them into the fold as gun owners, no doubt about that. Um, switching gears here, I wanted to talk about something new. Uh, from Mossberg, which I think is going to be really beneficial to the Western big game hunter. And uh, it's the Patriot LR Hunter series. And I'm going to let you talk a little bit about the specs on on the latest in the Patriot lineup. Sure. And, and hopefully your listeners are familiar with our Patriot line. It's our kind of classic bolt-action hunting rifle. Well, if they've seen any of my pictures, they, they, <laughs> they are. Um we kind of extended that line now with the popularity of longer range, both target shooting and hunting. Uh, you know, the key to that's having the, the proper platform. And so what we've done is we've taken our Patriot action and dropped it into a custom stock that's really designed uh, for stability, um, for that accuracy that you need for longer range shots. Uh, it has Monte Carlo stock. It has an aluminum uh, has aluminum bedding pillars, which gives you that stability. It's actually polymer coated, um, so that really works well when you're in, uh, in inclement weather. Uh, you know, wanting a really positive grip on the firearm. Uh, it's available in calibers that you would expect. You know, for longer range shooting, the 308, 65 Creedmoor, 65 PRC, and 300 Win Mag. Hmm. Um, again, all the great features of Patriot. It has our adjustable trigger, um, fluted bolt. Um, fluted barrels, threaded barrels, so you can easily add suppressors. 
Uh, it comes with a Picatinny rail, so it's easy to put on your optics. And I'll, for a price point of around $700, that's suggested retail. You'll see it, obviously, a little less than that street price. Mm-hmm. Okay, exciting there. So, like, um, if you were to compare it to the weight of the the uh, regular Patriot, uh, what are we talking about as far as difference goes there? Well, it's not it's not a significant difference in weight. You know, you're mm-hmm. talking about maybe a, a half pound to a pound more. Okay. Um, because it's a custom stock, you you get you know those added features without a lot of added weight, but it's still the same barreled action uh-huh. um, that you have in the standard Patriot rifle. Okay. Well, and they're not a, a, a you know extremely heavy. No. Um, no, you're talking about six six and a half to seven and a half pounds, depending on the on the caliber. Right. Okay. So very cool. Excited about that. That's the uh, the long range hunter, the Patriot long range hunter, and um, some other cool stuff. Um, and I know these aren't readily available; they're not in mass production yet, except for the competition model. But there is a new um, semi-auto platform when it comes to the shotgunning realm. Uh, of, of Mossberg, and I'll let you just talk briefly about that because you never want to say, hey, we're really excited about this, but you can't get it yet. Uh, but we do want to <laughs> let people know that it's coming, I mean, even as early as possibly uh, turkey season. Yeah, absolutely. Well, earlier this year, uh, working with Jerry and Lena Mitchellett, uh, you may be familiar with them, world-class shooters. Oh, yeah. They've, they've been shooting our 930 semi-auto shotgun for years. Jerry's a bit of a gunsmith, too, though, and he actually came and sat down with our engineers uh, a while back and said, hey, here are some things that I've noticed about the 930 that I think we could improve on. So with his input, our engineers sat down and designed an entirely new gas operating system, and the result is the 940 Hmm. uh, semi-auto. And here are the the key things that I love about it. First of all... um, I despise cleaning guns, and one of the things about semi-automatics in general is they they do tend to require maintenance. I mean, we suggested with our 930 about every uh, 200 to 300 rounds, you probably need to clean the gas system. With this new operating system on the 940, you can go in the neighborhood of 1,500 rounds without cleaning. This has begun for me. (laughs) It <laughs> comes significant. I mean, for a hunter, it, it'll take us a while to put 1,500 rounds through. But for a competition shooter, that's huge. Yeah. Um, the other thing is the 930, the way it was designed, uh, part of the recoil system, there's a spring in the stock, and there was no ability to shorten that length of pull. And the 930 was just a little too long for me. Mm-hmm. So we took that into account, and the 940 actually has adjustable length of pull. So it has inserts. So you can adjust it from 13 to 14 and a quarter inches, but you can also have uh, adjust the the drop and cast. So you can really kind of custom fit this gun, which becomes important in shotgunning uh, to make sure that your eye really aligns with that rib, um, you know, to make you a better shot. So mm-hmm. right now, yes, it's a competition gun, but we're going to roll it over into our entire lineup. So we'll have waterfowl versions, turkey versions, some home defense guns. So really excited to kind of tease your listeners now. Yeah. Uh, if you're a competition shooter, you might want to check out the 940 JM Pro. But if you're looking for a hunting model, stay tuned. We'll have those before the end of this year and as we roll into next year. Perfect. Yeah, that's exciting. Very exciting. So 940 coming at you very soon. Um, 
We are almost out of time here. I know we were talking off the air about all this travel um, and these restrictions. Uh, like you had a duck hunt in Maine coming up that if you go there, you're still supposed to quarantine for like, is it two weeks before you're... Two weeks, yeah. right. So or have, either show up with a negative COVID test. Well, that's easier, I guess, than quarantine yes. for two weeks. But yes. it seems just, I mean, if you're driving there and you're going straight to hunting camp, and this is what I was referring to about that elk hunt I'm going on, like New Mexico wants me to quarantine for two weeks, but I'm going straight to my final destination. And, uh, you know, I just, I had to say, I'm, I'm not going to take their advice, but I think a lot of hunters are doing that exact same thing if they're driving. Well, and I think that that's true. I mean, obviously, limited exposure if you're going straight to um, to your final destination. But, you know, for those of us that are traveling by uh, flying in, mm-hmm. uh, I, I have a feeling, you know, we're going to have to abide by the individual state still recommendations. So you're going to have um, to show them the negative test. Like when, when you, is that exactly. at the airport, I guess? or That's what I'm that guessing. Work? I, I it, the, the hunt's in December, so I'm kind of, and there's a part of me that's hoping that some of the restrictions will be lessened yeah. by the end. But um, if not, I've got to dig into that a little bit more. Mm-hmm. I um, I know that I, I had actually looked at flying to the Bahamas, which I go to a lot uh, as well a while back, and that's what you had to do. You had to have a negative COVID test in hand at the airport when you mm. checked in. Okay. Okay. Interesting stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, it, yeah, it's going to be interesting this fall. Like you, I'm hoping to get out in the field some and trying to pick destinations where there are fewer restrictions. Mm-hmm. Well, and I'm supposed to go make up my uh, Cape Buffalo hunt in February. And who knows what it's going to be like internationally, like flying to Africa. Um, it's going to be it's going to be interesting and, uh, and different. So, but I, yeah. I know... I, uh, I've seen people, uh, friends that have already started going back to Tanzania and Zambia. Um, yes. South Africa not open yet, but they're coming back healthy. So we'll see what happens. Well, ho- hopefully, as we roll into you know this winter and and spring, that you know we can get back to normal and uh, you know return to hunting in a, not only destinations across the U.S. but some of the international locations as well. Mm-hmm. Well, exciting stuff. Uh, as far as the uh, certainly the the LR hunter there in the the Patriot series, encourage folks to check that one out. Uh, long range shooters especially, and uh, equally, maybe even more excited about the uh, the 940 um, because that's just gonna that's gonna be a game changer. I hate cleaning shotguns. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. I'm really excited. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hey, well, Linda, always great to to catch up. And uh, I look forward to our our next visit and and hope that you have a great season. Thanks. You too, Cable. Okie dokie. There she goes. Linda Powell of Mossberg Firearms. Uh, One other thing to mention, very exciting, is the uh, Patriot Revere. That's the Walnut Stock Patriot line. Um, We're giving away a 300 Win Mag. Or you can choose a 6.5 Creedmoor (laughs) if you want to. Uh, I'd go with the 300, but it's up to you. We're giving one away, and you can go to either my Facebook or Instagram page for information on how to register to win. Just scroll through the photos. You'll find the one that uh, will lead you in the right direction. That segment of the show, by the way, brought to you by Vortex Optics. Oh, forgot to mention, that gun, it's going to be outfitted with a Vortex scope. So we'll even sweeten the pot a little bit more. 
And specifically right now, though, uh, if you're gearing up for a Western hunt, then you want to check out the Vortex Diamondback HD Spotting Scope Series. They've got, I think, three or four different options in there. I've got the uh, Diamondback HD, which I just took to New Mexico. And for the price, I mean, you can get into one of these for under uh, $600. But for the price, you can't beat it. You get the Vortex quality that you'd expect. Plus the, I mean, you can beat the hell out of these things, which I do. <laughs> uh, and so it comes with that lifetime warranty, the VIP transferable, no questions asked warranty. You break it, they fix it. It's Vortex, the force of optics. Coming up next, we'll get into the pre-rut and all things concerning big early season whitetail bucks with Bill Winky of Midwest Whitetail of the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Like that's a dumb backward thing. Guns and religion, religion and guns. I cling to them both, apologizing. Dallas Off-Road is North Texas' trusted 4x4 shop, specializing in lifts, wheels, tires, exterior upgrades, and gears and drivetrains. I recently took my factory Z71 Silverado into Dallas Off-Road, and they handed me back a lifted beast of a truck that will get me around the deer lease or just as easily tackle a perilous mountain road on my way to a backcountry elk hunt. Dallas Off-Road owner Jeff Swope is an avid hunter and gun enthusiast, so you'll have a lot to discuss when you swing by the shop or give them a call. Visit DallasOffRoad.com for all your truck or Jeep customization needs. In the market for a compact track loader, then check out the Bobcat Advantage, where Bobcat track loaders squared off against other brands in a variety of tests and challenges. Whether you're looking for performance advantages, uptime protection, or quality design, Bobcat compact track loaders are the best-built machines in the industry. But don't take our word for it. Watch the videos at BobcatAdvantage.com or see Bobcat machines in person at Bobcat of North Texas in Louisville, Fort Worth, Cedar Hill, Longview, McKinney, Paris, and Sherman. Visit BobcatOfDallas.com today. I've earned scars and I've earned buckles Been in the shoes with blood on my knuckles I'm driven all night long trying to make a rodeo I'm strong as a freight train, just as steady Crack the gate, you know I'll be ready And I'm gonna hang on until Casey Donahue, what cowboys do? Back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. Cable Smith here with you today, as always. Thanks for being here. Thanks for sharing a part of your week with me. I appreciate each and every one of you. And I can't believe that deer season is officially here, especially if you're a bow hunter. Maybe you've got an MLD property where you can rifle hunt in October. I don't know. All I know is I can grab my bow and go sit in a tree stand out, and that gives me a little chubby, not going to lie. Uh, so, it's the best time of the year. Well, actually, November's better, right? Because then duck season's here, quail season's here. All of those seasons converge upon us at one time. So I'm going to say that that is a little better. But anyway, my butt will be planted in a tree stand coming up next week. Going to do a little doe management. I don't really have any bucks pattern, to be honest with you, right now. And even if I did, they'd probably change it up before uh, the rut hits and some new bucks will probably show up. You really just don't know. But, or maybe, maybe there's a way to figure it out. And that's why we're going to visit with someone who's um, much more in tune with whitetail behavior than myself. I mean, I give it hell, but Bill Winky's been doing it a long time. Great outdoor writer and founder of Midwest Whitetail. 
And we're going to get into the pre-rut because that's what is staring us in the face. Uh, and also the October law. Is that really a thing? We'll get uh, Bill's take on that momentarily. But first, this segment proudly brought to you by All Seasons Feeders and Blinds. If you don't have a big chingone, you need to get one, especially if you're introducing kiddos into hunting. Like my three kids, all of them sit in the blind with me. They look at all the wildlife, and it's I'm not going to say it's uh, like soundproof because it's not, but it certainly muffles all the racket that three kiddos can make, and they love it. Somehow we even shoot does out of it with them in the blind. It's got carpet, cup holders, shelves, plenty of room for four chairs. It's the big chingone. Or you can uh, check out its little little buddy, the little chingone. You can find it at allseasonsfeeders.com. Texas made, by the way, family owned. All right. With that being said, let's bring him on right now. It's been a minute since Bill Winky has been on the program, but Bill, great to have you back on, my friend. That's my pleasure. Yeah, thanks. I, I'm looking forward to it. I wanted to talk October whitetails today as archery seasons are opening up across the country. Um, are the first, in your opinion, are the first two weeks of October a good time to put your tag on a mature whitetail buck? Why or why not? Uh, normally, no. and Yeah, so I think in the Midwest where I've done most of my hunting and probably throughout the whitetail range, early October tends to be either feast or famine. And it's only feast if you've got a specific buck that's on a daylight pattern, which is fairly rare. Mm -hmm. Um, Typically what you do is you kind of sit through early October, running your trail cameras, getting a feel for where some of these bucks are, you know, where the fall ranges are, try not to push too hard, you know, get too aggressive, educate too many deer. Uh, and then all of a sudden you'll see some changes in their behavior as you get into the second half of October. And so I think the first half is, is more about being opportunistic, taking advantage of those uh, very rare examples of bucks that are showing daylight activity um, and just really preparing in, in your mind for what, what's going to come, you know, as you get closer to the rut. Uh, so it's, I wouldn't say it's one that if you miss it, that you're going to, you know, feel like you lost your season. It's just a preparation time usually. Mm-hmm. With the caveat of, I guess, if you had a daylight buck pattern, probably coming to a food mm-hmm. source, I guess, would be most realistically if he was coming out during daylight hours. Yep, that's that's the one you go after. That's your green light. So there's really, I figured there's only two green lights in early October. That's one. I mean, it's a pretty obvious one. You've got trail camera pictures or, or actual physical sightings of a buck that you want to shoot moving in daylight. Um, Obviously, you got to jump on that right away because that pattern can be pretty short term. Uh, the other one is when you got a cold front coming through. So if you have an October cold front, really almost at any time during the month, uh, obviously it's better in the second half. But even in the first half of the month, you know you get a cold front rolling through, and you're going to see an increase in movement. Uh, so you try to take advantage of those, and you take advantage of those you know, those individual bucks that are that are daylight active. The rest of the time, you kind of you know you have to be conservative, careful, you know, maybe fill in a few doe tags, um, but not getting too aggressive in those areas that you're hoping to target when the rut gets closer. Yeah. So what is the uh, October lull? Is that, uh, is that a real thing in your opinion? Well, you know, the biologists that I've talked to say that it doesn't exist. Uh, They said that on their radio collared deer, that they don't see any drop off in, in daylight movement. Um, So if that's true and gosh, I, I hadn't, 
I can't say that I can verify what they're saying to be true. Right. Uh, I mean, my trail cam has shown me that it drops way off the amount of bucks I see on my cameras and the amount I see in daylight drops off sharply once you get past about the middle of September. Um, but I think some of that also has to do with changing feeding patterns where they just aren't coming to the same places anymore because the acorns are dropping. Uh-huh. Uh, so, so that, that might be kind of a double whammy where, you know, their testosterone levels are starting to rise and they're, and they're becoming more like hermits. You know, they've abandoned their bachelor groups. They've sort of, you know, gotten mad at all the other bucks that were their buddies all summer long. And now they're spreading out into their fall ranges. Uh, so through that whole process, you've got that changing food source as the acorns are dropping. And uh, the result is that, you know, I call it an October lull. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, biologists say, like I said, that some some say at least that it doesn't exist. But uh, that's certainly contrary to what I've seen. Uh, but there are those individual bucks, like I said. And then you also have those cold fronts where all of a sudden stuff can pop. But in general, I'd say the first two weeks of October is is basically a lull. Um, yeah, I can. Oh man, I don't know how many times. Very few, if any, that I've killed mature bucks in the first two weeks of October. Um, well, you know, down I, here it's still like ninety degrees. So yeah, <laughs> I'm sitting in a tree stand. I only did it one time last year, um, and it was towards the end of the second week. And I was immediately like buyer's remorse. I'm like, why am I? Why am I doing this? It's I'm sweating yeah. my ass off, and the odds of leaving a bunch of sin around and, and busting this buck is, is far greater than him actually showing up. Yeah. So. I think that's the risk versus reward uh, game that you have to play in October. You know, I, I think unless you can really see uh, and, and identify a very tangible reward, it's best to keep your impact down because that's the risk. You know, you want to balance that risk, which is that you're going to educate deer versus the potential for reward which is you know are those bucks even likely to show up in daylight um so there's that's an art to it you know as you get into the rut and and later into the season it becomes a lot clearer you know how to play that risk versus reward but you're always playing that game every time you go out it's uh you know where do i hunt you know a high impact you know high risk potentially high reward you know everything you do is based on that risk versus reward uh, equation and, and early October is, is high risk, low reward typically. <laughs> right. Right. Um, what's, so I'll give you an example this, uh, this buck that I was trying to kill last year is probably, uh, say 175 ish, um, beautiful buck. Mm-hmm. And I had leased this 25 acres in Collin County. Um, he started showing up. I think the first picture I had of him was like October 20th and he never was there before that. Uh, and then pretty much at least once a day. And I had like going back to, um, you know, decreasing the amount of scent or risk. Let's just say that you're putting out on a property, especially one as small as 25 acres, you know, cell cameras have really changed the game. I believe Mm -hmm. on that, as far as, you know, limiting your, exposure to these animals and yeah. so i had four or five trail cam cell cameras out on this 25 acres so anyway i was getting pictures of this buck and he showed up about once a day right there for that you know last 10 days of october i think mm-hmm. somewhere about that and I'm, I'm assuming that was just the beginning of the pre-rut when he's out in the in daylight hours 
and you know he's running around checking scrapes and stuff like that. Um, is that is that essentially kind of when your when you all's pre-rut starts uh, last week yeah. of October? Yeah, I'd say so. And uh, typically we don't have much action uh, until, like you said, the 20th, and and even further the 25th is kind of um, I would say almost like a oh you know there's not a hard date obviously it's just a one to transition. look for. Yeah. yeah, but that's just if you're looking for to say, okay, when do I start hunting mornings or, you know, when do I start hunting more aggressively? I always tell people just to keep it simple and, you know, somewhere around the 25th, you know, and, and you know, most years that's going to be that time frame when you're seeing that uptick in daylight action uh, where it's worth putting a little bit more risk into it, like we discussed. Uh, but yeah, that's, it's hard to say on, I mean, deer are so, individualistic and everybody says why did this buck do this or whatever and, and uh a lot of times i just don't know um you know i mean they're especially when they become mature they're all individuals and they'll do stuff that doesn't necessarily make sense compared to the stereotype but for that buck it's what he does mm-hmm. um you know and people say well i've got one buck that's you know for the past three years he's come on my farm on the you know, such and such date and he's left on this date. I'm, I'm thinking, gosh, that's really weird. <laughs> you know I mean? How do they, how do they know? <laughs> yeah. But, but, uh, so it, it's, it's some, some of the stuff you just don't know. You don't, you can't explain why they do what they do sometimes like that one that you're talking about. I don't know why all of a sudden he'd show up and he'd be there at that time. Something grabbed him. I don't know if it was, you know, maybe he was just making his rounds and all of a sudden, you know, his, his range got a little bit bigger and you got into his range. And then, you know, the, the rut tightened up a little bit and, and uh, you know, he, he, you know, fell in a different circle. Who knows? So many questions. And I've picked other people's brains on uh, this topic, this buck, uh, certainly before, but never someone with as much experience killing big bucks as perhaps you, Bill. So uh, we do need to uh, take a quick break, come back, and we'll continue to sleuth through the mystery of the pre-rut after the break. Sound good? Yeah, it'd be awesome. No problem. Excellent. And that segment was brought to you by Lone Star Ag Credit. Land is the one thing they're not making anymore, but we all want it, especially for deer hunting, right? Or maybe you want to run cattle or uh, go fishing or just get the hell out of the big city as city life continues to get crazier and crazier, right? Uh, So, Lone Star Ag Credit has been doing this for over 100 years. If you're ready to make that dream your reality, give them a shout. You can find them at LoneStarAgCredit.com. We'll be right back with more from Midwest Whitetail's Bill Winky as we're talking pre-rut right here on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Because now with you, I, I have it Hey guys, Cable here for Coon Stopper. If you're tired of losing corn or protein to those pesky raccoons, well, here's your solution. If you're running a traditional feeder that has, you know, those long legs that coons like to climb up, rob you blind, well, you just attach the Coon Stopper to each leg. It's so easy. I just put one on a 300-pound all-seasons feeder, and (laughs) the results speak for themselves. Coons don't like it. They basically attempt one time, realize that it hurts, and they're done. Throw in the towel, just like that. 
is the Coon Stopper, and you can find it at alamooutdoorworld.com. Hi, Brett Jepson here with Three Curl Lease Connection. I'd like to invite you to come enjoy some of Texas' best dove hunting just minutes outside of Dallas. We have many private dove leases available for this upcoming season, including milo, wheat, sunflower, and cornfields. Leases come in different sizes and prices, so we can fit anyone's budget. We have the lease that's perfect for you and your group. We don't overcrowd multiple groups into one property, and you'll have the first pick at renewing your lease for years to come. Please visit us at threecurl.com and click on leases for your property listings. That's T-H-R-E-E-C-U-R-L.com. Texas Premium Power Sports is one of the largest pre-owned dealers in Texas. They specialize in sales of pre-owned ATVs and UTVs, many of which come fully accessorized. They also have a full service and repair center for most major brands and offer financing with a 500 credit score or better. They'll even finance parts and accessories such as high racks, roofs, and wheel and tire combos. Visit TexasPremiumPowerSports.com or check them out on Instagram at Texas underscore premium underscore power sports. That's TexasPremiumPowerSports.com. Girl, don't bother him locking door. Sat there hollering, darling, don't you love me no more? He always let him in before, now didn't you? He's just singing off the same old song. They always sang before. He's the last of the hardcore troubadours. Girl bringing us back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. I'm Cable Smith. Uh, thanks to Lone Star Beer as well. Long time presenting sponsor. Thanks to you guys and gals for being here as we are diving headfirst into the pre rut today with longtime whitetail writer, producer, really a jack of all trades, uh, Bill Winky of Midwest Whitetail. And we're going to get back into that conversation momentarily. First, however, this segment brought to you by SCI, whom I am so excited to have on board. And SCI is passionate about your rights as a hunter, keeping people educated on the facts, not emotions, and also, of course, conservation. So for more info on how to get plugged in. They've, they've got a great chapter system as well across uh, all of North America, over 200 of them. So to get plugged in with SCI, just go to safariclub.org for more information. We'd love to have you. All right. Uh, well, Bill, thanks for sticking around through the break, man. Certainly appreciate that. Uh, let's continue on with essentially why I wasn't able to tag this big buck last year and worked through it many times in my head. But, you know, in a small urban setting like the one I was hunting, um, it's 25 acres, things like the neighbor's dogs. I had a picture of this buck on November 4th at 6.55 p.m. And at 6.57, here's three labs. And, you know, ultimately I had to get animal control involved after repeated attempts to uh, be cordial with the neighbor. Uh, but they just didn't seem to get it, like, they thought their property should be able to just roam free, regardless of how it affected other people. And so, you know, the odds, I think, were stacked against me from that perspective. Hot air balloons firing up literally right above the tree stand, uh, crazy things like that. These big, mature bucks don't really want to tolerate that. And uh, But, you know, by the end of October, he was on that property every day for that last week, like I told you. And, uh, 
you know, I had really one opportunity where I, I think uh, <laughs> I could have killed him. But trick-or-treating got in the way. All of a sudden, you'll see some changes in their behavior as you get into the second half of October. I did an all-day sit, and I got out of the blind to take my kids trick-or-treating, and he walked past the pop-up that evening. And that was the only time that I was like, that was the, the moment. <laughs> and I wouldn't change it. You know, my kids, they're seven, five, and five, so they, they needed their dad yeah. to take them trick-or-treating. But oh yeah, I was like, I was sitting there, drink, you know how trick-or-treating is really like national adults put alcohol in a Yeti and walk around the neighborhood day. <laughs> yeah. So I was doing that, and I got a picture from the set, from the stealth cam sent to me, and I'm walking there with my neighbor, and I'm like, son of a bitch, look at this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but the next morning, I, I sat there on November 1st, and this is something interesting that this buck did, going back to the individualistic nature of each each animal, but also probably had a lot to do with the fact that he was just a mature buck. So I'm sitting in that pop-up, and it's my the to the back of the pop-up is a, a pretty deep creek, one that they're not typically going to cross. Um, and I have it set up to where there's a... Uh, the city of McKinney comes in there and does some pipeline work. And so they've got a you know, a, uh, a pipeline cut through there and I have the pop up to where these deer should filter down the pipeline right in front of me. And I have probably three does walk by and this is right before legal shooting time. And all of a sudden I hear trees moving to my left. I'm like, Oh, that's gotta be a buck because you know, that's antlers hitting, um, vegetation. And, uh, he walks, Literally, there's 10 yards between me and the river, and he walks, or the creek, and he walks right behind my blind and wins me, blows, and then that was it. And I knew it was him because I would check the the pictures later on that day, and uh, certainly, yeah, it was him walking by that. Mm. That was the only time I was, I, I know, I was ever on the property when he was there. And so that leads me to my next question. When that something like that happens and you get busted by a, a booner buck, what are the odds you're going to get another chance that season to uh, – to possibly harvest him? Well, it, it depends on a couple factors, one of which being how big your property is, you know, because 25 acres is small. <laughs> yeah, I know. But I'm just saying in general, if you're t- taking that that question one step further, if if we're answering that question in your case, uh, it's going to be a while. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, I'm not saying you're shut down for the season, but it's going to be a while before he's comfortable in that specific spot. And that specific spot, unfortunately, is a huge percentage of the property that you own or yeah. have access to. So if you had access to, let's say, 500 acres, you'd say, well, who, you know, he may not come back through here very soon, but he's going to be on his feet someplace else. So mm-hmm. I just have to, you know, keep my options open and, and you know, figure out where else in his range maybe I can pick him off. But unfortunately, you've got such a small sample of, of his range that when you spook him in a spot like that, um, you know, you're not necessarily done for the season because I'm assuming it's somewhat urban or it wouldn't be so small, right? Yeah, it's yeah, it's very mm-hmm. urban. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I mean, it's not like they're, they don't smell people. You know, it'd be different if it was a spot where they never smell people except when people are trying to kill them. Yeah. You know, so that, that makes it a little bit more uh, of, of a softer scare. Um, so I would anticipate in a situation like that within a few days to a week, He's going to be back through there again, if not sooner, maybe at night at first until he gets comfortable, you know, or whatever. Mm-hmm. But he's not going to abandon it typically because they are encountering people fairly regularly and, and you know, walking away from it. So 
they don't like it. They don't like surprises. They don't like things happening in places where they don't expect them to happen. Um, so they definitely take that into consideration because if they just smell the person in their backyard, it's way different than smelling a person, you know, back along the creek, back in the woods. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, uh, but I would say, you know, that wouldn't have ruined your season. Yeah. Not, not one event. Well, so that was on the first, I got, I got him back on the property on the fourth and then he just kind of, you know, went MIA and, and, and I think some of that has to do with those other factors, the, the dogs getting on there all the time, but also that's such a small property. He was there for the pre-rut and then, you know, November 4th, now we're a week, you know, a week closer to the actual rut. And I think he just mm-hmm. expanded his range again. Yeah. Um, but, he found a spot where there was a couple of hot does probably, yeah. and he just didn't leave that spot for a while. So when I did get the picture of him on November 4th, I had, he was checking out a mock a mock scrape and a, a licking branch that we had set up. What, uh, what are your thoughts on, on mock scrapes and, and do you use them? I mean, I, I haven't had much success with them. Uh, I started playing around with those like rubbing post licking branch combinations, you know, in some of my smaller food plots, because let's say you have a one acre food plot. That's plenty small enough for a gun, but it's still way too big for a bow because the other end of it could be a hundred yards away. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you still have to find some way to get them to your end. So I was putting those up in a number of my smaller plots and I didn't see a lot of success with it, unfortunately, but I know a lot of people who do, uh, I don't know why it didn't work for me. I was doing something wrong, I guess, or else my deer just, they didn't care. But yeah. uh, the uh, uh, typically that's what, what I see the most uh, uh, benefit is using it to position a deer for a shot, uh, not necessarily to move his pattern. He's not going to travel out of his way to hit a mock scrape. Uh, because there's there's so many regular scrapes and it's just it's you're oversimplifying how they live if you think you can move him a considerable distance just by you know making a mock scrape right but what you can do if he's in that area anyway or if he's passing through maybe you can move him 50 yards or maybe you can turn him you know when he approaches a certain you know maybe there's a trail that's too close to your stand to give you a good shot but you know if you can find a way to get him to reposition you know for 10 seconds while he's making a scrape, you can get a shot. You know, I, I think that mock scrapes make a lot of sense in those situations. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and they're good too for running trail cameras on in areas where you can't run cameras on bait because uh, it gives you just something that concentrates them slightly. Uh, it's it's pretty frustrating in places where you can't run bait on, on uh, trail cameras to get an inventory uh, because, you know, especially if you don't have something that, that you know, really concentrates the deer because, they can walk right past the camera behind it, you know, 10 times before they walk in front of it. Mm. Um, you guys allowed to run bait in, in Iowa? On cameras only. Uh, and, and then there's a lot of rules about, you know, what you can do, how long it has to be gone and stuff like that, you know, before you can hunt that area. Yeah. Um, so every state's a little bit different, but in Iowa, the best thing to do, I always tell people is just call your local game warden and just ask him, you know, how he interprets the rule and then just do whatever he says. But you can run the camera over bait, but you can't hunt over bait. So then the question is, okay, now I got a picture of a deer, a buck that I want to hunt. I got him on a bait pile on, you know, October 25th, and I got a cold front coming on October 28th. What am I going to do? Well, you can't hunt that spot. You have to, you know, you got to hunt him someplace else, or you got to, you know, you got to wait or, you know, so there's a real game in, in situations like that for figuring out 
you know, how long to run on bait before you, you quit, um, you know, so that you've got a spot that's not considered baited. Sure. Uh, so, so it's, uh, but anyway, yeah, that's the way that you get your, your quickest inventory and you know what you've got almost immediately. And then you can figure out, you can slow it down and then you can say, okay, now I'm going to run off mock scrapes. I'm going to run off trails. I'm going to put my cameras in the corners of plots and maybe put them on the, you know, the time-lapse or the field scan mode, you know, where you can take a picture every 30 seconds and, you can start putting that pattern together without any feed in front of the camera once you know where that buck is, you know, that, that you want to hunt. But mm-hmm. the most important thing is you got to find him. And, and uh, you know, there's it's pretty frustrating trying to get an inventory on a property if you have to just run on, you know, fence crossings and stuff like that because you could literally go all season and not get a picture of a buck that's there every day. Well, in going back to, you know, killing a mature buck, um, this guy that I was chasing, I had one free choice feeder out there, mm-hmm. avoided it like the plague, never got a picture yeah. of him near it, had wanted nothing to do with that. Oh. Uh, younger deer, does, they're there all the time, not him. Yeah. Oh. So, and I don't know if you're, I guess since you guys can't hunt over bait, your, your deer probably don't feel a, a threat there. No, um, there, there, there's a few that don't like coming to the baited cameras, but not very many. I mean, I, I can, I don't even know if I can count on one hand in the 18 years that there are 10, 12 years, whatever, no, 15 years that I've been running cameras on bait that I had a buck that was, you know, hesitant. Uh, typically, they get comfortable pretty quick. Um, and there's something to be said for, you know, how you do it and, and stuff like that. You know, as far as I always went in wearing waders and, and uh, you know, I, that would, completely eliminate all human scent on any grass or on the ground mm-hmm. there wasn't any human scent there so all he found was a pile of corn you know it's like man yeah, okay you know at first they, i'm sure they wonder why is this pile of corn there but if they're deer i mean they're gonna eat it <laughs> right so so that i think that's the that's the trick and and there was not like a consistency to it where he could have ever associated that spot with danger um you know so well that's so that's why this was so weird because of its urban nature like he going back to what you said, he's hearing voices, he's smelling people, mm-hmm. but somehow he knew that that feeder was, you know, a, a no go. Yeah. You know, but maybe there was something about, was it, did it spin? No, no, no. Just, Free choice. Just, they could just okay. walk up and just eat out of it. Uh, yeah. yeah that's Which I did on purpose. So, because I didn't, number one, want to attract hogs with the spin, spin cast. And right. number two, I'd heard from other bow hunters in Collin County saying, Hey, these bucks are spooky. They don't really like, you know, they certainly don't want a, a spin cast feeder and a lot of them just avoid feeders altogether. And sure enough, you know, well, there's, see, there's a vulnerability that that they have when they put their head into something like that. I mean, granted, he's only putting his nose into it, but, um, you know, some animals are kind of funny about not being able to see everything. Mm-hmm. You know, they, it's again, maybe there's enough human pressure that they feel at risk, uh, you know, at least enough of the time that they just don't want to have any of any part of their vision obscured. Um, you know, cause obviously if you stick your head in there to, to eat out of that thing, you're going to have a certain percentage of your field of view covered. Yeah. Um, so that might be it. It might be just as simple as that, you know, where he, he, he may not associate it with people at all. He just doesn't like the fact that he can't see as well when he goes up to feed out of it. Yeah. Um, yeah, kind of weird, but yeah, you'll, I don't know. Like I said, deer. I mean, every one of them has got his own personality, and, mm-hmm. and it's hard to it's hard to you know slap a stereotype on on 
mature deer because as soon as you do that, you'll find one that breaks the rules. Oh, yeah. I mean, sometimes 200-inch deer get killed at a feeder. It happens. We are going to take a quick break, come back, and discuss uh, human urine. Does that affect whitetail behavior? Should you just let it fly from your tree stand or, or bottle it up? Uh, also, can you manufacture a pre-rut staging area? We'll tackle those things next. That segment, by the way, brought to you by Rustic Reminders Taxidermy with locations in Marion and San Antonio, Texas. Josh and Becky Gunther have been taking care of all of my trophy needs for going on 10 years. Gosh, time flies, but they do amazing work. They answer the phone when you call. Imagine that. And they offer quick turnaround time. No more waiting for two years to get your whitetail back. That's right. You can find them at gr the number eight mounts.com. We'll be right back with more from Bill Winky of Midwest Whitetail on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Mama, that's what I heard him say. See the big man cry, Mama. He looks like his heart will break. Hey guys, Cable here for Quiet Cat, the leader in e-bikes made specifically for overlanding, hunting, fishing, and remote access to the great outdoors. Quiet Cat provides outdoor enthusiasts a means of portable, low-impact transportation while providing you with the most reliable product on the market. I own a Quiet Cat, and it has surpassed all my expectations. It's an amazing machine that stealthily gets me wherever the hunting or fishing adventure takes me. Based out of Eagle, Colorado, Quiet Cat is able to put all of their products to the test, making sure your e-bike is built to last. Visit QuietCat.com or call 970-328-2399 for more info. Hey y'all, Chris Letzinger, online sales manager at Cinnamon Creek Ranch here, reminding you we're not your typical archery club. We're a one-of-a-kind archery facility with indoor and outdoor ranges, full pro shop, and six different 3D courses. Cinnamon Creek was designed by hunters for hunters. Located in Roanoke, Texas, we have over 200 3D targets to hone your archery skills. Call 817-439-8998 or visit us at cinnamoncreekranch.com to visit our new online store. That's cinnamoncreekranch.com. She wore them Navajo pearls and a turquoise ring. The head tied up high and holes in her jeans. And I said to myself, well, this is all I'll Cable Smith, welcoming everybody back to SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. That's Carson Jeffrey, Ranch Girl Dream. Thank you guys and gals for being here today. Do appreciate you as we are still talking pre-rut whitetails with Bill Winky, longtime outdoor writer and founder of Midwest Whitetails. But before we pick it back up with Bill, this segment of the show is brought to you by Pulsar Night Vision and Thermal Imaging Technology, specifically their line of thermal optics. If you haven't gotten a chance to use the new Thermion, you need to. Talk about the evolution in thermal rifle scopes. The Thermion has all of the things you'd come to expect from Pulsar. Great image clarity, uh, diverse color palette, internal recording, you name it, it's got it all. It's the thing that I like about it the most, to be honest with you, though, is the uh, interface. A lot of times the, the buttons on these thermoscopes are not user-friendly. This one has changed the game. It's uh, by far the most user-friendly optic that they've come out with. You can find the Thermion at PulsarNV.com 
and uh, you'll save 20% off your order on any monocular when you use my promo code LONESTAR underscore PL. Check it out. All right. Uh, picking it back up with Bill Winky. Let's go here, Bill. Um, over the years, there's been a lot of different schools of thought on the effect human urine has on whitetail behavior. There's even been studies conducted on the topic, uh, one of which we've discussed in detail over the years with uh, Dr. Deer on his study. But what are your thoughts? Do you take a bottle to the stand with you, or when you got to go, you just uh, let it fly? I guess I've been doing this for a long time, and, and uh, when I first started, I would use a bottle, and then after a while, it got to be inconvenient, so I thought, well, I'm just going to pee in the ground and see what happens, you know. And I never had a, a bad reaction uh, since then, and I've had a lot of deer pass. And I've peed I a lot been, of times. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, especially when you drink coffee, you know, in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you might, you might have to relieve yourself a couple of times in, in the tree stand before you're done in the morning. So um, I never had a bad experience with human urine on the ground okay. uh, and, and i've had people say that they pee in scrapes i did last year so i was gonna have to yeah. say like it yeah. didn't seem to bother him uh yeah. any of the I, I think they could what what somebody told me one time and I, I did a bunch of research on this actually one time called biologists and everything and and uh, wrote an article for north american whitetail titled should you pee from a tree that was the name of the uh -huh. article and uh what they what they told me was that urine breaks down really fast and that yeah you the deer probably can't tell for sure whether it was even a carnivore or a you know, omnivore or a herbivore that, that made the urine. They, they might not even be able to tell that. They might, but they might not. But they certainly aren't going to say it's human uh, because there's, not, there's no human scent in human urine. Sure, sure. So the only way they can make that association is if there's something unique about it because you drink coffee or something like that. Maybe it has a certain different odor to it and then and then they, they somehow can associate that with danger. So they would have had to have had those two events, you know, smell the urine, you know, and experience the danger often enough that they can make that association with human urine. Mm -hmm. But that's very, that would, I've never seen it myself. Mm -hmm. Not to say that it can't exist, but they would have to make that jump, um, yeah. you know, where, where they connect a certain type of urine with, with risk. But they're not going to smell human odor in human urine. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, what about the uh, impromptu pop-up? So you've got a buck that shows up for the pre-rut. You didn't have him on camera previously. Is it safe to put up a pop-up in an area where you think he's going to be? Yeah. Um, there's two ways to do that. If, you, if you're not careful, it's a 10-day proposition, you know, before they're going to get comfortable with it. But um, there's two ways you can do it where you can probably get away with it. The first way is to have it in the general area where they're used to seeing the blind and moving around once in a while, you know, so it's not uh, something new that they have to try to figure out what the heck is that. They've mm -hmm. already seen it. They know what it is. They've walked past it. Maybe they haven't walked past it in, in that exact spot. You know, I do this all the time with these redneck blinds that I put on trailers. I'll have them in the field and it may not be even a spot that I plan to hunt, but I stick it out there and just say, well, let the deer get used to it. And then, you know, when the time comes, I can just hook up to it with the truck or the four-wheeler and move it, you know, to one corner or the other. And the deer aren't going to have to get used to it again. They're just going to basically ignore it because mm -hmm. they've already accepted it. So you can get away with a little bit more that way. But um, the, the best thing to do is to brush it. Uh, if you brush it, you know, and, and really hide it, 
then you're probably going to get away with a fair bit more. Uh, I've gotten away with murder brushing and blinds, especially under cedar trees. If you can cut the bottom limbs out of a cedar tree and then you can drape a bunch of boughs over the top of the blind and lay them across in front of it and make your little shooting holes. I mean, you'll have deer, you know, within, you know, that same day walking right past it five feet away. Uh, So there's a, those are the two ways I think that you can get away with it. If you just throw up a store-bought blind in a spot where the deer have never seen one before, it's going to be a while, uh, literally days before Mm -hmm. they're going to be comfortable with that. I'm sure. Yeah. I mean, especially mature bucks. So, mm-hmm. um, how far do you think bucks are traveling during the pre-rut compared to, obviously they're going to expand their, their range, wander a lot farther once the rut actually fires up, but generally speaking, are they staying pretty close to their bedding area? I think closer than, you know, the, the range will start to grow a little bit, as you mentioned. And, and, and again, every deer is different. I've seen some that never leave 20 acres, even during the rut. Um, you know, because I run trail camera, I mean, specific deer that I've been trying to kill, because I'll run trail cameras around those areas, you know, saying, okay, if he leaves, I need to know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, he ne- and he never left. You know, he stayed in that 20-acre area, you know, throughout the entire rut. So there are some that will do that, but there's others that, that may roam, you know, a couple of miles. Um, and I think the habitat type makes a difference if there's a lot of cover and a lot of available does where they don't have to you know, like a Kansas scenario where they might have to walk a mile down the creek to find the next doe. Um, you know, if it's more habitat intensive and the population is, you know, pretty well, you know, diversely spread out throughout, then they probably aren't going to range quite as far as they would in the more open areas where the populations are, you know, in pockets and they're, they're further apart. Um, so there are underlying, you know, conditions or, or situations that would determine some of that too. But in general, um, the pre-rut, they're going to be closer to home than they will once they start breeding. Mm. Um, but not every buck will. Again, you're you're dealing with individuals, but that would be a, a generality that you could probably feel somewhat comfortable making. Okay. Now, obviously, they're not really fighting yet during the pre-rut. So is there any reason to rattle or, or grunt for that matter? Oh, I think so. I mean, I've seen them come to rattling even you know, early in, in September. Um, you know, I, I, I think it's a curiosity thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's like anybody likes a good fight, even if all they do is watch, you know, and obviously when you get into the rut, they're thinking there's a hot doe there and these two bucks are fighting over that doe. I better go take that doe away. I mean, that, that's what they're trying to figure out, you know, later, but at first they're, they just hear antlers tickling and they think, Oh, there's a couple bucks over there trying to show who's the, you know, who's the man. Well, I'm the man. I better get over yeah. You know, I mean, that's what that is. It's not about, you know, trying to steal a doe or something in, in September. It's more about just uh, establishing dominance and, and you know, the, the more dominant buck feels like if there's other bucks out there that are pretending to be tough, that he needs to go and show them who really is, you know. And, right. And they do that. Uh, I've seen them do it. I've seen them go all the way across the field just to stand there and posture and make the other two bucks quit. Um you know, just to say, hey, look, I'm the man, quit screwing around. Um, and and uh, so it can work anytime. Anytime they're hard-horned, um, you know, rattling can work. I've, I've heard bucks sparring and jacking around in, in the late season in January, you know, well past any time when people would consider rattling to attract a buck. Mm-hmm. So I, I do think that from a curiosity standpoint, even outside of the rut, it's, it's worth messing with. Um, probably almost better than... I mean, I think the snort wheeze is kind of, eh, that's a really good rut call. 
but I'd be a little hesitant, I think, on pulling that one out, you know, outside of the rut. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think that those contact grunts, you know, we just, eh, eh, you know, I think that's got some, you know, some potential to create some curiosity, you know, outside of the rut. You know, again, during the rut, it's more like a dominance, you know, uh, issue. But I think rattling is, is going to create more curiosity outside of the rut than almost any other type of calling that you could do. Um, you know, like, like I said, who doesn't like to watch a good fight, you know, and deer yeah. in the same way. They just, they're like, hey, this is pretty cool. I better run over there and see what's going on. Yeah, and the older I get, the more, like, I enjoy watching UFC. I don't know. I don't get it. I, I used to not like really be into that. Now I'm like really enjoying watching two guys beat the crap out of each other. It's it's entertaining. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's something else. Yeah. But, uh, so, um, so do you have any uh, as we're as we're wrapping things up here today, Bill? Do you have any hit list bucks that that you're targeting this fall? Uh not yet. Um, I was talking to you in the off the area. Yeah, the prep time that. We sold our farm, and and I had a lot of bucks on there that I, I, had, you know, kept an eye on over the years that I was probably going to be after. But um, the goal was to sell that and then move closer to buy land closer to my family, so I could spend more time with my family and around my family. And uh, I haven't made the purchase yet. Uh, haven't found something that I really wanted that somebody was willing to sell. Um, I'm still working on that part of it, but I do have a lease there, and I just haven't ran my cameras on there yet. It's been, you know, the the moving and, you know, getting reestablished in new neighborhoods with all new, you know, ways of doing stuff, mm-hmm. and, you know, all it, it just takes a lot of time to get reorganized to the point where I can just leave my wife and say, okay, I'll be back in, you know, <laughs> a few days. Right. Um, you can, you can get that sofa in, can't you? <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. She can do that by herself. Right. Um, so no, that doesn't work. So, so the, I'm in the process now of, of, you know, getting that going, getting the cameras out. So there'll be some big ones there. I mean, I don't know whether they'll be, you know, similar to the kind of bucks that I was hunting before, but I expect, you know, there'll, there'll be for sure a couple of good solid, you know, mature deer in that, on that property that I can hunt. Um, I mean, it's Iowa and I'm not saying that the best areas in Iowa are, are or the worst areas in Iowa are, are, are better than, you know, the best areas someplace else. They aren't, there's bad, there's bad areas here too. But this isn't a bad area. Mm-hmm. At, at worst, it's neutral, and and maybe it's better than that. Uh, so there's going to be big deer there. Uh, last question: Have you have you ever hunted the South Texas brush country? Uh yes, I hunted the Encinitos. I hunted. Uh, what else did I hunt down there? Uh, I've hunted a couple of couple of different in the San Angelo area, and I've hunted some south of there. So you've um, you've seen the the mesquite flats and mm-hmm. all that stuff. Yep. So my buddy, uh, his family has a ranch down there around uh, Ensenal, and he wanted me to ask you, how would you try to identify a a like pre rut staging area in in that type of setting where it's just so thick? Because um, he's like, it's driving him mad. He can't figure these bucks out. They all come out during the rut, but. He's a diehard bow hunter, and and he's trying to you know get them when they're moving around during daylight hours during the pre rut, and he's having a hell of a time. I think you have to you have to create those places. Um, you know, n- nature will make a few of them, but that country is so homogeneous. You know, like it, a lot of it's flat. Mm-hmm. Uh, the 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 cover is you know very similar across that flat area. What is it that's going to cause a buck to be one place rather than someplace else? Um, who knows, you know, I mean, mm. nothing, 
nothing is going to cause them. Maybe, you know, habit. Who knows what it is? But if you can uh, change, you're not going to change the topography. Uh, that's that's way too expensive. But you can certainly change the cover, and uh, you know you can make openings and you can do stuff to, you know, to encourage the deer to use the property differently. Uh, that's what I always tell people is you have to create those spots because unless you've just got a lot of patience and you can try to figure out, you know, one individual deer and why he favors one part of the ranch over another, um, you know, what you can do, you know, but it's still going to be tough to kill him. You got to create something that gives you an edge. And, uh, I mean, we even do that in the Midwest. I mean, with a bow, you're already at a disadvantage. So anything you can do to create a closer range opportunity is, is worth doing. So we did a lot of these micro plots on the farm that I sold. You mm-hmm. know, they could be a half an acre up to an acre, and uh, you know, they're a lot of times they're you're just enlarging a natural opening. Uh, it's some place where those bucks can pop into uh, maybe a little bit of a social, you know, social area where they make a few scrapes. They walk around the edge of it. Maybe there's a little bit of food in there. You know, if you can, if you've got the right climate where you can grow something in there, those are going to be your hot spots with a bow. Uh, but you know they're going to go out of their way to check those places, right. whereas they're not going to go out of their way to check very much else. You know, in that in that type of country, um, it's sort of like the big woods of, let's say Georgia. You know, there's there's spots there, especially say a pine plantation. You know, <laughs> what do you, where why would the deer be one particular place rather than another particular place when the whole thing is flat and all the trees are identical? Um, you know, so that's where you have to come in and make a difference mm-hmm. and, and create those those kind of places. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. It's a it it is all very much the same that yeah. that that country down there. Um, but uh, big bucks, and he had one eight point. He named Chaco because he had these dark chocolate horns. Mm-hmm. That uh, two years ago he was going to try to shoot him last year at six and a half. Well, they ended up snaring a. 160 pound mountain lion on that mm. fence line <laughs> Boy. and Chaco was never uh, seen again. So uh, yeah, yeah it makes you sick, but that's the way it goes. At least they caught the cat. So, yeah. Yeah. That's mm. one thing we don't have to mess with in the Midwest. I mean, it's, we don't have mountain lions. Well, people don't think about South Texas as being mountain lion habitat, but uh, every year more and more of them get shot at deer feeders, you know, stalking deer feeders and, we're getting snared and coming into calls, so they're they are certainly expanding uh, that that part of their their home range or reestablishing it. You know, if they probably were there and, and now they're there again. Yeah, uh, just well, to, there's a lot of food. Yeah, you know, and that's, <laughs> yeah. that's what it's all about. Uh, you know, yeah. Hey, they, people are trying to grow big deer. We're gonna take yeah, advantage yeah. of that. Yeah, <laughs> nice big healthy fat ones. Wow. Uh-huh. <laughs> are you? Hey, is this ranch feeding protein? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is where I'm gonna hunt. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, uh, Bill, if you want to give us the uh, the outlets where folks can best find you. Yeah, the uh, uh, Midwest Whitetail is the series that I created back in 2008, and that still airs. Uh, it's a video series that airs on YouTube and the MidwestWhitetail.com website, and and there's a, quite a bit of interaction, you know, with people making comments and asking questions on the videos and on the website. And if people are, you know, wanting to communicate, that's a pretty easy way to do it. Um, and we've had you know pretty good success. We've had a lot of viewership you know over the years with with those series. It's you know obviously primarily 
um, you know, a Midwestern series. Mm-hmm. There's not much overlap into Texas. In fact, I don't think we've ever had a pro staff member in Texas. Uh, but uh, for those who are just curious about you know, seeing big deer, you know, being hunted and, and sometimes killed, um, that's a that's a place where you can find some of that. Yeah. Well, I mean, a mature buck's a mature buck, whether that's in Iowa or Texas, they're they're going to be hard to kill regardless. Mm-hmm. Um, and they still, you know, still have the pre-rut and the rut. So whitetail is yeah. a whitetail. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, yeah, I encourage folks to check that out. Are you on social media personally? I'm not a huge uh, social media person. I think I'm <laughs> old enough, you know. That yeah. I think that, you know, our kids are, our daughter especially, our son less so, but that generation, um, it's really kind of prime for them. And I'm a generation out, not yeah. a half a generation out. I'm probably a full generation out. I'm not saying I don't pop in once in a while, but you know, I'm a hunter. I just really don't want to interact with a million people. <laughs> I just want to be left alone and go yeah. sit in a tree. I think most really hardcore hunters, they're kind of loners anyway, you know, and the last thing that, that people want is a whole massive amount of interaction. You know I mean? It's, it's uh, not that it's not valuable, you know, it's, it's nice to be able to help people, but at the end of the day, it, you know, I'm a loner. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Set in your ways you are, and there's nothing wrong with yeah. that. Uh, just old, not set in my ways, just yeah. old in my ways. <laughs> well, well, man, it's always great to visit with you and talk whitetail. Uh, like I said, it's, it's been a long time, but certainly great to have you back on and, and I hope you have a hell of a season. Yeah, you too. Thank you, Cable. I appreciate it. And good luck to you too. All right, man. Take it easy. All right, you too. Thanks. All right, so there you have it. Bill Winky's thoughts on the pre-rut, which in the South anyway, will be here before we know it, which I'm certainly excited about. Uh, that segment, by the way, brought to you by the Stealth Cam Fusion, which is what I'll be using to try to pattern those pre-rut bucks. If I do have one that's slipping up and showing his face during daylight hours, well, the Fusion is going to give him up. It's going to send pics right to my cell phone. It's that easy. It's uh, And the cool thing is, is you don't increase the pressure you're putting on them by going in there and pulling cards. It's the Fusion. You can find it at StealthCam.com. Man, just looking at the clock, we are out of time. Got to go. Got to get out of here. Thanks to Bill, as well as Linda Powell of Mossberg Firearms. Thanks to all of our sponsors for making this show possible. Thanks to you, the listener, for being a part of the Lone Star Outdoors show. Until next time, I'm Cable Smith saying y'all have a great week in the outdoors. I'm taking a bar exam under a neon sign. I'm going to graduate when you're off my mind. In this honky-tonk school. We got a hell of a band